0: Welcome to the Boiled Out Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don.
1: Oh, hey, Don. How are you? Hi, y'all. I'm Sam. Ooh, oh,
0: there you are. <laughs> I was wondering who that was. <laughs> who is that? sitting next to me that the owl keeps peering at. Well, every now and then it takes a swipe at me with its wings. Fortunately, they don't hurt. No, they're kind of fleshy. It's the talons you gotta watch out for. <laughs> it's those talons. <laughs> What's going on yeah. in your world, Don? My world's been good. I've had I had an anniversary. At at least. Least. You did? yeah. So you're even more of an old timer I mean- now. What happens if you keep on? Well, from what right. I understand, though, it depends on where you go as to whether or not you're an old-timer, you whippersnapper. Well, that's true. It's who you surround yourself with. That's it. <laughs> the, we have a guest. We do have a guest. Introduce yourself. My name is Doug. I'm an alcoholic. Doug. Hey, Doug. We're glad you're with us. Thanks for joining us on the Boiled Owl. This old owl. This, this old, old owl. owl of mine. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on <laughs> This Old Owl. <laughs> i glad to be here. <laughs> rename the podcast. <laughs> Doug, what was uh, it like for you to last your last drunk? Not what was your drunk like, but what was it like for you to like make a decision to come to AA?
1: Well, hopefully it was my last drunk. Yeah. Good okay, point. Yes. okay. Uh, The most recent one was. Uh, it's been a while. Um, How long? Well, my sobriety date is the 7th of May, 1980. So I just picked up a 37-year chip.
0: So you see, Sam?
1: Yeah, you're a whippersnapper. I'm a whippersnapper. (laughs) Now I'm not an old-timer. Don't drink and don't die. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So uh, I had been drinking for about 15 years. I was just shy of my 30th birthday. And I was out... We call it wedding down a one of the guys that worked for me in the navy and it was one of the few times that I recall ever saying that I was going to limit how much I drank and that didn't work
0: wedding down is getting drunk he
1: was, he was getting promoted oh so the, the terminology applies to dr- the drinking aspect of Getting promoted. (laughs) (laughs) This is the celebration. This is the celebration.
0: Let's wet them down real good. Yeah.
1: So I had way too much to drink. I don't remember driving home, which that was a fairly common occurrence for me. And I came to the next morning and felt like I was in trouble. And so I said, I think I have a problem with alcohol and I need help. And I shortly found myself... In front of a navy captain and a navy chief, at the navy treatment center at Balboa Hospital in San Diego. And I, my, the day that I entered was the was the seventh of May mm-hmm. in nineteen
0: eighty. Had you ever heard of AA before that? No. Well, why did you decide to limit your drinking? What was going on?
1: Uh, I'm not even sure about that. I I had been. Drinking very heavily over the over the prior probably three or four, maybe five years. In the Navy we we worked hard and we partied hard mm-hmm. was the saying. And that was it was pretty tolerated back then. There were clubs on base and there was a bar right at the end of the of the pier where the ship was tied up mm-hmm. in San Diego. And it was not uncommon at lunchtime to go down and and have several beers uh, at lunchtime, and then do that again right after work. So, oh, wow.
0: So on duty,
1: yeah, you're getting drunk a bit. Yeah. Or at, or at least, least a buzz. Not when the ship is underway, but if when the ship was tied up, yeah, we more than made up for the time lost <laughs> in the sea. <clears throat> and uh, I was a blackout drinker. In fact, I was a blackout drinker from the very first drink that I took when I was 15 years old. And it was getting more and more progressively close together and longer and more dangerous because I was doing a lot of drinking and driving. Mm -hmm. And so I came to that morning and something had changed. And unbeknownst to me, at the time, my wife had started talking to someone who was a recovering alcoholic that she worked with and had suggested Al-Anon. And she had been going to Al-Anon for a while. And so... So you knew about it subconsciously i knew about it it's not something that was spoken of right did so she start practicing some black belt Al-Anon something had changed yes uh, it had changed and that day from the day that i entered the treatment program i haven't had a drink since then wow my, my wife went to al anon
0: and i didn't know about it but you felt it i did, i didn't i didn't you feel didn't it you didn't feel it you couldn't tell the difference no the difference i could tell was that she quit riding me all the time. Okay, yeah. And what happened was, she really did detach from my drinking, and it did point the finger back at me, and ultimately, you know, it has to be from the inside, making a decision that I'm the the one with a problem. But I remember going to an art opening. This was maybe seven years before I quit. And it had, I had started noticing my drinking. And I went to this art opening going, okay, I'm going to control my drinking here. And I wasn't very successful with it. And I was talking with this artist at the opening. He was not drinking. And I had a, a draft beer and I had been holding off and this was the first one that I got. So I was self-conscious about it. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him, holding this plastic cup in my hand and it just slipped right out, right down to the floor, hit the ground and went (laughs) and sprayed all over the place. And he looked at me and said, see, that was the weirdest experience. Wow. What a thing to say. I had no. Maybe after
1: I, ten beers, he could say. Yeah, uh, totally. I mean,
0: but it's like he knew my <laughs> in, my thinking because I've been like going, okay, I'm not going to. But you know what? It was a friend of mine that had invited me down to be in this show, had quit drinking, and so it had shown a light on my drinking inside of myself. So I was trying to control it, and I, that was that was freaky. <laughs> and doesn't it just like. It sucks when somebody else quits drinking around you and it shines light on your own. And it's like, oh, crap. Now I've got to look at my shit and I'm not feeling
1: quite like I fit in now. I'm I'm standing out here and this sucks. Yeah, it does. I I had none of that. People that I drank with drank as much as I did. It was unusual to be around somebody that didn't drink in the Navy at
0: that time. Right. so So you got sober surrounded by people who drank.
1: Yes. So you, you said the treatment center, did they, were they doing 12 step recovery in the treatment? Yeah, center? It was, it was actually a very progressive program. It was a six week inpatient treatment program. I was on site for four weeks and they did a two week outpatient treatment after that. Okay. It was AA oriented. It was every night we'd load up in a bus and go to an AA meeting. All right. I had to, I, I, I joked a lot about, you know, we were required to get a sponsor. We were required to work the fourth step. We were required to work the fifth step, or they wouldn't let us go home. So I didn't really want to do it, but I did want to go home.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's a good I, stick.
1: I, well, I got a sponsor. I did the steps, and was
0: it the fact that also with the with the military training that you'd had that you were more apt to follow
1: directions no. like that? No. <laughs> okay. So, like any good alcoholic, you were no. still totally resistant. Uh, I, I I, yeah, I've said for years. If you told me to sit over here, I would go sit over there just because I don't like you to tell me what to
0: do. Oh, man, I so relate to
1: that. exactly. <laughs> and, yes, I spent altogether probably close to 30, 34, 38 years in and around the military, and yeah, I still don't like having people tell me what to do. <laughs> oh, that is so
0: funny. Wow. <laughs> Talk about choosing a career path that uh, doesn't really work with your uh Sensibilities, yeah. Sensibilities.
1: <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm, a, I, I'm all that unusual in that regard, but yeah. In any case, that's sort of my mindset. Yes.
0: So, when did AA become, and in recovery become important to you? I mean, did it take right away, and you were like, "Oh, this is—I found it." What happened?
1: The way I recall it, I went into the intake interview. And there was a captain there by the name of Frank Dwinnell. I guess I can use his name because um, he's, he may still be alive. I haven't spoken to Frank in 36 years probably. But mm-hmm. And there was a chief there. Frank had been sober. He was, a, he was a physician and a psychiatrist. And he was in charge of the treatment program. Mm-hmm. And another chief there, whose name was Larry, as I recall. Frank had been sober probably nine years at the time. Larry had been sober for probably seven years, and they sat me down in their office, and they—I I don't remember anything that they told me. Yeah. They told—they didn't tell me to do anything. The way I recall it is that they talked about themselves, and their drinking and what they did about it, and I've always had this visceral feeling of taking the chip off my shoulder in the office there and setting it on his desk and saying, okay, I'll give this a try. Huh. I was not too keen on, the, on it at the time going in. I was an active duty Navy Lieutenant. I was a, on a destroyer. I was an officer of the deck, a fleet officer of the deck, qualified to do anything on the ship. I was an engineering officer of the watch. I was qualified to do anything on the, in the engineering department. And I wasn't too interested in some snot-nosed doctor, even though he was a captain, really telling me what to do. Kind of that whole, don't tell me what to do kind of thing. Uh-huh. What I think has been, for me, the saving grace of being in Alcoholics Anonymous is, they didn't tell me what to do. Nobody has ever told me what to do. What they've done is, they've told me what they did. Yeah. And that has allowed me to... Find a path towards sobriety that's worked for me. Mm. Isn't it
0: amazing that uh, you know they got that early on? Bill got yeah. that. I mean, because Bill is one of us that you know don't, don't tell, tell me, me what to, to do. do. <laughs> exactly, Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> that um, that that thing of saying this is what I did, and and it just works so magically yeah. with people like me. I mean, yeah, come along with me if you want to. You don't yeah. have
1: to. It, it ties into the discussion we had in the meeting this morning about spirituality and the relationship with a God of our understanding. If I would have come in here into AA mm-hmm. and I wasn't comfortable about the discussion that, that we all had about God, I, I didn't grow up around that in my family. So if you would have told me that I have to believe what you believe regarding God, I don't think I would have stayed
0: I'm uh-huh. sure I would
1: not have. So the fact that I'm allowed to have my own understanding and my own concept of my own relationship with a power greater than myself is the other thing that has allowed me to stay in and like
0: Absolutely. I mean, that, as I shared in that meeting as well, that was incredibly important for me to be at that place where I don't have to have a middleman because that, that the idea of religion being the middleman, telling me how I needed to do this,
1: never worked for me would not have worked for me either the other thing that wouldn't have worked for me is if i'd have walked in and they told me you can't drink for the next 30 <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that would not have worked for me right you know nobody told me that they said do you, do you think you can not drink today yeah uh, i think i can do that and they yeah. said okay do that and then come back
0: and they kept pointing me back to that all the time because i would go i at one time i remember uh, saying, you know, well, I'm, just I'm, I'm not going to ever drink again. Or going, you don't know that. No, but don't, you're not, you know, just don't drink today. Don't drink today. Okay. And it sounds like a trick. And maybe it really is. <laughs> because the human mind doesn't stay in just today.
1: There was a, a counselor in the treatment program. Her name was Anna Lee She'd also been sober for a long time. She was... I get, what I always picture as sort of the classic AA lady, uh, she used to get drunk and dance on tables. Awesome. I kinda, my kind of <laughs> woman. <indeed>. She <laughs> right. drove a Cadillac convertible. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a, 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 a beautiful blonde. She was probably mid-50s when I knew her. And what she used to say was, I don't care if your ass is falling off. Pick it up and take it to a meeting. And that that's resonated
0: right. with me. Yeah, those, that's one of those phrases that, um, surprisingly, I heard a lot of those when I came into the rooms uh, about 14 years ago. Great collo- colloquialisms. Great ones, yes. absolutely. I don't hear them all that much in the meetings around yeah. here lately. Well, the past several years, bring them up. There's a meeting uh, on Thursday night where they say, uh, uh, smokers at the end of the meeting, please clean up after yourselves take your butts with you. And <laughs> yep. they always say that. It always gets a laugh. And I always want to say, we we want you, even if your butt falls off, to put it in a wheelbarrow and bring it to a meeting. But take it with
1: you at the end <laughs> of the I, I think it took me, it seems like it took me about two years to really get my AA decoder ring to where I knew what <laughs> people were talking about when we throw out those phrases. But yeah. And then it's kind of interesting when we're out in the real world and people drop one of our lines and
0: you, you can kind spot of look, them look
1: askance them. and say, "Are you a friend of Bill's?" Or, yes. You know, try to get that yeah. response back, but yeah. you have to be a little careful about that. My one of my first real jobs after I got off of active duty in the Navy, <clears throat> I went to work for a utility, and they kept talking about Bill Wilson. I was walking down the hall and they had this discussion, two guys had this discussion going on about Bill Wilson, and I almost went up and said, oh yeah, I'm a friend of Bill Wilson's. And actually had a guy working there named Bill Name Wilson. Bill- <laughs> That's funny. With all my anonymity in public on first day on the job. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm a drunk. <laughs> that would be a mistake. Be a little careful sometimes.
0: <laughs> I was looking for a meeting at the uh, Yellowstone National Park, and it was, there was a, Looked for a bulletin board, and I was going, okay, there's a, maybe there's a meeting here, mm-hmm. and it said cabin 23, and that there was a AA meeting. So I drove and found cabin 23, and there were three guys standing outside. Something I wasn't exactly sure. So I used the expression and said, "Are you friends of Bill?" And one of them turned around and said. Who the fuck is Bill? Guess <laughs> <Does> not. That's <laughs> uh, okay. It's okay. <laughs> Scared that desire to drink
1: right out of you,
0: right? <laughs> it, did. it did. I don't think I would have gotten the uh, what I needed at that. I don't think cabin. That, I don't think
1: that guy had his secret a- a decoder ring. He didn't have the secret <laughs> decoder ring.
0: The the, the clue might have been those guys were standing there holding those red Solo cups. <laughs> well, you know? I don't know. <laughs> I, so, so I've been to, I've been to meetings where there's people. I remember going to the Welcome Group in Wilmington, and I was early in recovery and went, and all these people were standing out with red cups, really? and I was, looked for all the world like a keg party. How funny! And they were drinking soda, and I walked up and they were going, "Hey, come on in!" So it's was, like was this place. Is weird. <laughs> so once again, the beach is all about the party, right? You gotta yeah, have the red right. cups out, the, even if you're not you you like, drinking. <laughs> <cups. laughs> well, Doug, what about you? We were talking about God. Tell me about what that journey was like.
1: It was definitely of the educational variety, not the flashing light variety. I think as right. Bill talks about it, my first sponsor was—I've always referred to him as sort of an intellectual asshole, so I could relate to him <laughs> and he's you just need that
0: that edge there the he asshole was, part
1: <laughs> he, he really was I mean okay. he, he was an interesting guy and he put me in touch with the Emmett Fox book Spirit on the Mount Sermon, Sermon on the Mount, the Mount Sermon huh? on the Mount
0: which I've never read I need to read that
1: basically what the gist of it was was that a lot of people have found in their journey through life help in the form of spiritual support. If, that, if you don't think that's for you, why are you unique? What makes you so different that you think that that couldn't be available to you? So it, it, again, it was sort of the approach of you have to do this because it was more like, everybody else has done this, why can't you do this? And that helped me tremendously. Uh, One of the things that Emmett Fox did also was he has a book. It's not even a book. It's a pamphlet called The Golden Key. Have you ever heard of that? Uh -uh. No. It's about, it's a small format book, maybe two inches by three inches and about six pages. So it's not a daunting tome of spiritual information, but the gist of it is um, go for two weeks Without a negative thought in your head, and you will be amazed at the outcome. So I tried that for about a month, and figured this is not working. <laughs> I could not, I could not get go for two weeks without a negative thought in my head. It's but hard. the other part of Emma Fox worked pretty well for me.
0: <laughs> you know, that's a uh, I, I tried something on in uh, in I don't know couple couple three years into recovery, um, and uh, it was a book called uh, A Complaint Free World or something like that. And it came with one of those little uh, rubber bracelets that were so big for a while there, like the the Lance Armstrong yellow bands and all that kind of stuff. It was Mm -hmm. a purple
1: wristband.
0: Wristband. Wristband to remind you. And what it was is that um, every time you complained, you were supposed to take it off and put it on the other side, um, on the other arm. And the idea was to go through your day without issuing a complaint. Ooh, That is
1: tough. It it seems somewhat aligned with what you were just talking. I have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. (laughs) Uh, I've said for years, my brain is trying to kill me. If I'm not careful, I'll let it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have felt for years that, you know, where we talk about we claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. That's incredibly important for me. And it's not even that, we're boastful about it. I don't think that's the, the meaning of claim in that context. I think it is that we grab onto it and hold on to it as something that is ours, that we that, you know, we work towards spiritual progress. I don't know of many people in AA who have claimed spiritual perfection. In fact, the, the people, anybody that gets like that, if I get an inkling about somebody like that, it kind of, it makes me recoil somewhat. Sort of the old... Faults. Well, I don't want you proselytizing to me about your religion or your relationship with God. That's, I don't like that. So working toward progress in, in the spiritual realm is, I think, an important aspect of recovery. Every once in a while, a meeting topic will come up of why do you keep going to Alcoholics Anonymous? I don't go to Alcoholics Anonymous to help other people. I go to Alcoholics Anonymous to stay sober myself. I'm convinced that if I ever got to the point where I thought I was well, I wouldn't need to go to meetings anymore. And I learned a long time ago that if you don't go to meetings, pretty soon you're going to drink again. So I have continued through the years. I don't go to nearly as many meetings as I used to go to, but I, I don't think I've ever gone for more than maybe two weeks during my sobriety without, without getting to a meeting. As a matter of fact, if I go for much longer than that, I start getting really squirrely. Mm-hmm. And, and I've likened it to um, an ampl- an old amplifier. If you take an amplifier and you turn the volume up, you get to the point where you can induce distortion in in the wave pattern. Right. That's way, that's the way my mind works. I will get <laughs> to the point where I will turn it up and and that's okay for a while. And I can put up with it. And then I'll I'll turn it up a little bit more and I'll and pretty soon, you know, the distortion starts to creep in and I'll run it through that alcoholic mind of mine again. And in not too long a period of time, what in other circumstances would seem perfectly normal is nuts, um, is crazy, is so distorted thinking that I, I have to check back in to get grounded. I'll you know, call my sponsor up and say, here's what's going on. How's this sound to you? And the typical response would be, when's the last time you've been to a meeting? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, been a while, eh? That could be it. So I really believe that you know I have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I haven't drank in a long time, but my mind is still an alcoholic mind. Now, the, the tools of the program, and I, by the tools of the program, I mean the steps.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The fellowship is incredibly important to me. The, the secret decoder ring phrases that we all use help me feel a part of the program, just like the fellowship helps me feel a part of the program. But the tools to fix this alcoholic thinking process that goes on are the steps. And I think they're incredibly important to do. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I was (laughs) quote forced into (laughs) taking the steps before I was allowed to go home because I'm not sure I would have done it on my own. I, I really admire and respect people that just walk in off the streets into Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and get sober and stay sober. I don't know how you do that. I'm not sure I could.
0: Yeah. I th- well, I feel that way about people in Al-Anon who work the steps, and they don't have the the vice of alcoholism, where it's going to kill. I knew it was going to kill me if I didn't do it. That's the only way I prayed. It's true that. It's like I'm. I don't want to do this. Nothing
1: like the threat of imminent death
0: to get you to do something. <laughs> yeah. Although it still will 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 manage that threat for a while. You know,
1: it's. <laughs> well, I get <guess> so while. <laughs> yeah, away. totally.
0: Yes. But you know, I, I still gotta I, I still got a rag on the Al Anons every chance I get. You know, those people will relapse all over themselves and they'll always have the same
1: date. <laughs> <laughs> I guess over in Southern California and we do birthday cakes out there. Yeah. So when you have a you know, you get a birthday cake and everybody sings happy birthday, keep coming back without a drink. Uh, they don't do that in Al Anon. They, ah. they don't give birthday cakes. I, I used to Think that they should at least get a cupcake or
0: something. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> should. Yeah.
1: How long's it been since you had a think? <laughs> How long's <laughs> it been since you had a think? I, I love guess. that.
0: I went to some Al-Anon meetings and got a lot out of it. That's when my brother was drinking. But they don't care a thing about having something to drink at the meeting. They don't have Coke, coffee, water. They don't have anything to drink there. They're not interested in having anything to drink. <laughs> I thought that was bizarre. It is kind of bizarre. I know
1: I, what you mean too. I, yeah, it's like, I've gone to Alan on meetings before. Southern California, it, we we call them the little sisters of perpetual revenge. <laughs> oh my <Holy> god, it's <laughs> great. I don't say that. Other people, other that. other people yeah, do. Yeah, I, you I've would never repeat I would that. Never say
0: that. <laughs> I've heard people are saying. So, <laughs> I like that that we are not spiritual giants. We're we're working to recover, but if I turn my attention back to what is, you know, well, self-examination, personal inventory, what am I doing wrong here? And it's interesting that alcoholics, it seems, it's certainly the case for me, 23 years, I still default to terrible thinking. Uh, with all the training of AA that I've done, and you know I could be snapping wristbands or changing from one <laughs> hand to the other hand, I still so the answer is to turn my focus back to the solution whenever things come up. Mm-hmm. And so it's a practice. it's not
1: a destination. I, I was told long ago I'm not responsible for my first thought. And I am responsible for my actions. Mm-hmm. So if if my first thought is, I got sober before Jägermeister came out. Uh-huh. And I have no idea what this stuff tastes like. And, I'm, and it occurs to me on occasion, gosh, I wonder <laughs> 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 I've heard it's terrible, but... <laughs> I'm the same way with wine spritzers. <laughs> um, you never got to have a Bartles and James, I'm, did you? So I'm not responsible when the thought of a Jägermeister pops into my brain, Why? but I'm responsible of whether I decide to pick it up decide to pick up the phone and call my sponsor or go to a meeting. Absolutely. Those those actions are my responsibility.
0: Well, that's that powerlessness bit for me. I am absolutely powerless over a thought of a drink popping into my head. It is what I do with it next. Power is available to me in the second thought. Mm -hmm. And I love what a guy said in the meeting this morning. He said that God is in the second thought. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really powerful statement to me because— I think his was like, you know, uh, talking about raging or being an asshole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first thought that pops into my head is to, to like yell at you. That's totally me.
1: When I don't, that's when God comes in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's definitely trained behavior rather than the more <laughs> reflexive behavior.
0: <laughs> but, Truly. but I found that if I do, if I am consistent with going to me, so my level is three meetings a week. If I do three meetings a week, I'm at, at this point in my recovery, I'm, I stay even in my mind. (laughs) I don't start getting upset at traffic and things like that.
1: I'm hitting about five. Yeah. I I think that's an important distinction. And it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about was, you know, training the thought process Mm -hmm. that I'm okay. Here's the Here's a negative thought, what do I do with it? I, I don't think that the purpose of AA is that we spend our lives living in the program. There are times during our lives when I think it's incredibly important to stay very, very close to the program because it, during those periods of time, if I weren't, I'd be out in a negative state of mind. I would be in dis-ease in everything that I'm doing. But I, I don't think living in AA is is what the pro- the purpose of the program is all about. I think the purpose of the program is how do I live in the real world mm-hmm. while being an alcoholic? I spoke recently at the Saturday evening meeting, and I, and I, as typical, I came up with this, what I thought was a great line that I promptly forgot that <laughs> <laughs> I'm to use. You know, I, I, I have alcoholism. I don't have alcoholism.
0: I, right, yeah. You know,
1: you know I... I am. I am an alcoholic. I am not cured of this disease. I have a reprieve today, and the book says it's based on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. So, if I am out in self-will, uh, which I can be, mm-hmm. and and not even know it, and the book talks about that too. You know, we can be totally in the midst of self-will and not realize it. If I'm in the midst of that, I'm in a. I'm in a a position of ease. I am vulnerable to going back to old behaviors. And to me, the old behavior of how I fixed those kinds of things was I'd get drunk or loaded. And now I don't do that. And I found different, different coping mechanisms. Sure. And, and it's not, again, not, like you say in your lead, uh, I didn't come up with this stuff. I learned everything I know about how to not get drunk and how to live a sober life by working the steps and going to AA meetings.
0: Well, know. I love that there's, there's a line in there that the, the first time I heard this line was in another program that had nothing to do with recovery. It was just kind of like, here's, here's a way to live life. It's a design for living. That And then when I read that in our big book, and I'm like, oh my God, that's awesome, because <laughs> that works. It is a design for living that works in rough going, I think yeah. is the line, something like that. And it's absolutely true. It's what I needed. It's kind of like, you know, that instruction book that all the people out there who don't need this program got when they were brought into the world. I didn't get that book. I didn't get the book either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here's one that works
1: for me. Uh, We are supposed to join the mainstream of life. Yes. And and it also the book talks about how we are often normal people. I mean, we often are jovial and and easygoing. But there's there's an aspect of my alcoholic mind that wants to just get in there and raise hell. <laughs> and, I hear you. you know, I I didn't when I was drinking. I did a lot of that. Yeah. You know, I I sought lower companions and lower places. You know, the Garth Brooks song <laughs> resonated with me. I got friends in low places. Yes, I you know, and and. I had a horrible self-image uh, while I was drinking. I, I had this image of being a, uh, you know, a, basically a skid row bum. Is where I felt like I was headed. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to skid row bums. I've got several friends of mine that are sober now. That <laughs> were skid row bums that are absolutely amazing people. In fact, one of them had the what was to me one of the one of those catchphrases. He used to say, "Pray for potatoes and pick up the hoe." So oh, yeah. you know, I, can, yes. I can pray my, my rear end off for, for some aspect in my life, but if I'm not willing to do the work, it's not gonna happen. And I think what's important about Alcoholics Anonymous is we are all about taking the action toward recovery, not just sitting on our ass and wishing that it would happen.
0: I, there's a phrase that I, I heard a few several years ago that I really like that's in, in line with the, uh, the potatoes and hoeing thing. And uh, it's, uh, pray to God, but row for sure. Um, pretty- I love that, I, I like
1: that. think it's I a Russian like- proverb. I, I like that too, I, that resonates with my old neighbor there, background. Well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta
0: row yourself. Well, Doug, thanks for joining us, but stick around, we've got a question for the old timer. Okay. <laughs> what the hell happened to that thing? <laughs> It's time for our old-timers question from a listener. Who you calling an old-timer? Well, not you, Skippy. Uh, we got Doug over here. He's an old-timer. <laughs> nah, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die, right? That's right, Sonny. Yeah, yeah. You can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. We don't have any questions yet, so we're making them up. All right. Flow from Owl Isle. Owl Isle. Owl Isle. Owl Isle. Owl Isle. <laughs> I think you made that up. <laughs> you could have made up something easier to say than Owl Isle. I think it's but, then what Ow,
1: Owl Isle. <laughs> owl
0: Isle. Owl, owl
1: Isle. Isle of the Owls, isn't it? It's I, the Isle. That's
0: Isle of Isle of the, the, the <laughs> Owls. A Very beautiful spot. <laughs>
1: Flo says,
0: I joined a home group, but I don't feel a part of it. How can I get past that? I don't feel a part of my home group. I like that question a lot. I've been going for six months to a Thursday night meeting, and I have a sponsee that goes there. I've been going to it and kind of feeling like a visitor even though I've been very regular attender. And I was driving there last week and realized, why am I doing that? This is a personal decision. I'm holding myself back from this group. It's up to me to be a part of the group. Everyone's been friendly. There's no reason. There's nothing there other than me holding myself apart. and. I went in with a different attitude. It's a, it's incredible. I'm a part of the group. I, I was actually shaking hands and welcoming people to the group. I actually, I heard, uh, I had a uh, someone who I respect one time say that she went to a meeting where no one was greeting her. And she was like, well, what is this? This group is not fulfilling the principles of AA. They're not coming and greeting me. I'm a visitor from out of town. So she got up and went around and welcomed everyone to AA at the meeting. It's <laughs> a pretty nerdy thing to do. Um, but th- there's an element of that that's really true. It's up to me to put out my hand um, to participate. It's not, if I want to hold myself back and, and not participate, feel like an outsider, people will respect that. They'll they'll give me space, so it's an in, it's an inside job. Put out your hand. Well, get to know people. Yeah, get to know people. Make yourself available. Share in the meeting. Um, become. That's how you become a part of it. You have to. I have to let myself be known.
1: Mm. Yeah. What about you, Doug? <clears throat> well, I, interestingly enough, I have had a similar experience uh, here in Greensboro. I've only, I've been here for just a little over a year now. My home group in Charlotte is a men's meeting on Saturday morning, so that was primarily what I was interested in finding when when I came up here. I visited once before moving to this location and have been coming now pretty regularly for the past year, but I am fully aware that I am an outsider i have been an outsider but i've I've done just what you suggested don i i didn't do this in charlotte but i have done it here i've started to go to coffee Mm -hmm. which is how we really met it was at the coffee uh, and i started going to breakfast on saturday mornings after the meetings with another group of gentlemen and I, i i feel more a part of in this group than i did obviously a year ago, but I agree with you. It's a matter of, uh, my normal tendency would have been to go to the meeting. I I get there five minutes ahead of time and leave five minutes after and go home and sort of feel like I didn't really have as good an experience as I would have hoped to have had. And so I did change my behavior, Uh, but it's not an easy thing to do. It is something that requires effort, but guess what? Everything about this program requires some input and effort on my part if it's going to be successful. Yeah, absolutely, and and it,
0: and it requires me most often stepping into some fear,
1: getting out of my comfort zone. Yeah,
0: you know, I um I recently got to be on a panel about home groups for our district uh, that's putting on a monthly workshop. In preparing for that, you know, I did some reading and stuff, but ultimately what happened is my awareness about home group opened up and one of the things that i realized has just really exploded over the past few weeks is that my home group has changed for me my experience of it mm-hmm. in that you know i you've know, had i've always had a home group i've had you know our, our home group the way out um has been my home group twice cuz i had moved away for a little while when i came back i came back to the way out and it's been, you know, a meeting I'm committed to showing up at. It's one I'm committed to uh, helping happen by mm-hmm. setting up, or if it's my month to chair, or, or helping break down, things like that. Or um, just by showing up. Is and, helping and, yeah, to totally happen. showing up and participating. Mm-hmm. But what has happened recently, and I realize that this is also partly due to the boiled owl and that we've had a number of our home group members on this. Mm-hmm. It has turned into a, a familial Thing. These people, I, I want to come early and hang out. I want to stay late and hang out and, and, and chat with people and get to know what's what's
1: happening now and you know this, that, and the other. And I just feel like that much more a part of. When I got sober, one of the things that people used to always say was stay late after the meeting and clean ashtrays. Now <laughs> that was back in the day when there was a lot of smoking that went on during meetings. I didn't smoke at the time and I, I my initial reaction was ew, I don't <laughs> want to have to clean these, fr- these nasty ashtrays, ashtrays. Nasty, nasty ashtrays, nobody said I had to like it. They just said, this is something that if you do, you will feel more a part of. And I used to pick up coffee cups and I would clean ashtrays and, and I, it did make me feel more a part of, and I would help set rooms up. I. I think that, that is an important aspect of contributing to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not a matter of just, you know, a lot of it is suiting up and showing up, you know, dragging your ass to a meeting even when you don't want to, but mm-hmm. the, the aspect of, and, and I think it it's part of developing the relationship with the fellowship is um, shaking hands with people is important. Saying hello to people is important. Um, I, I don't like to do any of those things. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> The people that, that made those suggestions to me were the ones that did it themselves and it worked for them and, and I did it and it's so far worked for me.
0: It's worked for you. You know, there was a, a guy that was my service sponsor several years ago who pointed out something to me too and that was putting away chairs after the meeting or washing ashtrays or whatever that, that type of service work Cleaning is. coffee pots. What it does is it fosters conversations mm-hmm. because usually you're not doing that by yourself. You're doing it with at least one other person. Mm-hmm. And that gives a chance for getting to know someone and them getting to know you.
1: What's interesting about this program is none of it's rocket science. Right. Mm-hmm. So all of everything in our program is very practical, practically oriented. I think it was genius or divine inspiration that it all came together through Bill and Dr. Bob and, and the, the predecessors in the Oxford group and and the background associated with that. But the, the book, it, it's it's amazing how poignant the, the various aspects of the book are in today's life, even though it was written in 1934. Yeah. So it's, you know, all of this applies in everyday life. And I think that's incredible about AA.
0: Yeah, the simple things are... Practical and they actually work. I make myself uh, greet people that I don't recognize that come to my own group. Mm-hmm. If they're new, it's so important. And I've had the experience of traveling and, and mm-hmm. having people not greet me. Yeah. It's, it's a simple little thing, but it's being open. And it makes all the difference in the world when you do go to a new meeting. And if they greet does it you. For you, it's absolutely it's a big deal. You know, fellowship is a huge part for me too, and and I, I wasn't finding fellowship outside of the, the the rooms, outside of the meetings, as strongly now as I was in early recovery, and it's something I've been looking for. And I noted that young people groups they're they're like incredibly social outside right. of meetings. And so I was feeling this attraction to, to go to the young people meetings, which young people is, you know, generally it's young people, but they say it's for anyone with room to grow. So there's a bunch of old farts in there, too. Mm-hmm. So and, I could go. Yeah, I don't know. You might be too old. <laughs> <laughs> past the, past that age. No, uh, no, seriously, we have all kinds of people in those room in those meetings. Uh, so I've been doing that for like the past month or so. One of the things that I was feeling very self-conscious, I was feeling a, very much a visitor. That I didn't belong, and a lot of it was that there was a lot of people there that I don't know. But also, it was this: okay, here's a younger generation. Here's people that are talking. It's a culture that I don't know, right? right. And I'm a little afraid of. I'm afraid of looking stupid or old or whatever in when I say something or, or whatever. And I shared that. And if you want to, if you want to become a part of a group. Um, And they're not my home group, but if still, if you want to become a part of a group, let them know that you're scared of them Uh and and they will, they will embrace you. You So I I let them know my vulnerability. I let them know that I was afraid and and I didn't this, that, and the other. And my experience in those meetings since then has been incredible because it took down a wall that Mm -hmm. I had in place and it allows me to be in relation with them. It's a big deal. I've done that out of town I was in a meeting in Florida. I was working for oh about three weeks, so I went to this one meeting twice a week. And I, the first time I went, I didn't say anything, and a couple people said hello, and I left. <clears throat> and it was good. And the second time, I shared. And afterwards, three people came up to me and talked about where I was from, what I shared. It was like I had opened up a door or something and said, please come talk to me. I mean, it's just by... So I think that by participating in the meeting, be sure to share in the meeting because that's opening up and making yourself available. Otherwise, people are going to give you space.
1: Absolutely. None of it is, is normal behavior, I think. No, it's <laughs> not true. It's not normal for me. <laughs> I, I used to have to have at least a six-pack of beer before I could do that. <laughs> that's right. Yes.
0: yes, yeah the most terrifying thing for me to do in AA is the, is the idea of ever doing a speaker meeting and me speaking and not drinking. <laughs> uh, how are you going to do such a thing? <laughs> it's so easy for me to do now and uh, and <laughs> and after being in recovery for so long, I can be in other groups out in life that are not AA and I don't mind sharing something or talking in it just would have been,
1: I would have been trembling. Absolutely. You do have to be careful though. You don't want to share too much out of those normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's we, true. We can
0: freak out the normal. We can scare them out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, another quick thing. Uh, so um, at one point while I, while I had moved away, I was living in Graham and I, I joined a home group there. I made a decision to, to, to join a group there as my home group. And on the day I'm sitting in that evening meeting And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna join. And so I go up to the chair after the meeting and uh, and and tell them I want to join the home group and everything. And they're like, oh, that's great. Will you be our speaker tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) You want to know how to become part of a home group? Mm. Be the speaker at their meeting as well, and they will totally know all that's going on. You become a part of. (laughs) (laughs) I went to a meeting in Elizabeth, Colorado. And I I was doing a job out of town. I was sick of the job. I wasn't sick of the job. I was just sick of being out of town. I wanted to go home. I didn't want to go to AA. I wanted to stay home and do some quality isolating. And I was just like, I can't do that. I've got to go to a meeting. This is obviously my mind trying to kill me. And so I went to the meeting. I sat outside. I had been five or six times before, so I kind of knew the people. I sat in the car. I'm going to wait till the meeting starts where I go in just before. (laughs) Because I don't want to talk to anybody, and I don't want everybody talking to me. And I went in. I went down the stairs into the basement, and one of the guys looked up and said, Oh, good. Don's here. Don, would you chair? (laughs) And (laughs) And... 15 minutes later, I was fine. I was healthy. I was well in my mind. I was no longer sick of life and wanted
1: to, you know, commit suicide. Uh, It's just incredible. So That's one of those God doing for me what I cannot do for myself kind of moments.
0: That's right. All I had to do is is get my ass to a meeting. (laughs) We do
1: have to show up. That's where the magic happens. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much, Doug.
0: Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback or ask a question on the website or email. Give a hoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Doug, I know you got a rifle with a scope. You want to try and take a shot at that owl?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's not a very good gun sound you it's can good. do better Bam.
1: oh yeah actually I do have a
0: oh oh don't pull out the gun Doug no Doug
1: <laughs> I have actually a pretty good
0: is it? no more boiled owl deviled eggs for us <laughs>
1: there you go how's that oh. <laughs> i slope, think you missed Twelve gauge no you can't <laughs> miss with the twelve gauge <laughs> a couple of different ones that you could put on here i can't remember it's it, right. quite an app that is a cool app you got all to, kinds of fun things you could download <laughs> you got a hand
0: grenade no <laughs> <laughs> that's that way you don't have to aim Well that's what I understand, yeah. But you know Just throw it amongst the owls. Amongst the oh, we have multiple owls.